0: But ultimately, long story short, this church found out about me through a mutual friend, uh, a friend of mine who was going to this church. And uh, ultimately, um, there used to be a thing called the Yo House. Do y'all have? Do y'all have the Yo House like here? Did it move? It's gone, man. You hey, look at me, youth. Look at me, guys. You've not really lived, okay. <laughs> until you you just need to ask somebody about the Yo house if you haven 't heard about it, but I lived in the Yo House uh, at First United Methodist Carrollton uh, for four years rent free uh, out of the goodness of, of this church's heart uh, just gave me a free place to live. I was on staff as an intern at Prestonwood Baptist Church. So it's really funny because Prestonwood was way over like Arapaho uh, in Dallas, you know. And then uh, First United Methodist was way over here on Josie. And now they came right next to each other in Plano. Well, Carrollton, Plano, whatever. So it's kind of interesting. But that's the church I worked at, uh, lived here rent-free. And God ultimately from there would call me into a full-time speaking ministry where I travel around the country and preach. And um, today, I'm also a part of a ministry where I go overseas and train uh, Iranian pastors. So I came all the way full circle uh, with using my Farsi language to train um, Iranian men and women who feel called to the ministry uh, to go into Iran and plant underground churches. And I know that you have heard and and have been praying for these 70 that were arrested uh, just on Christmas. Uh, These were folks that actually... Uh, I knew, I know, uh, and and have been with. And so it's an an incredible uh, time of what God's doing in Iran despite persecution. uh, The gospel is advancing. And so I'm just really excited that you're praying uh, for them. Today I'm also a pastor uh, in Frisco, uh, just up the road at a church called Providence. So it's just so neat uh, that I'm back in this area now after traveling around for so long. And uh, so it's really, really an honor for me to be with you today. And I'm really excited about the theme of this entire week. How you've been thinking and praying and just uh, talking about reaching out uh, to Muslims and to people who maybe we don't think uh, deserve grace and people who maybe in in our culture it's easy to kind of turn against. In our culture it's easy to kind of hate or look at Muslims as the enemy, you know. And just to have a heart of compassion for those folks, but really for anyone who doesn't know Jesus. And so that's something that I'm very passionate about. Uh, so I'm excited that I get to be here with you. So here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes. And I don't want you to, to zone out on me. In fact, I'd, I'd invite you to sit up in your chair and bow your head, close your eyes, and just take a moment and just pray right now and say, God, speak to my heart. And We've worshipped him in song and with our lips of praise, but now let's worship him as we come into his word and say, Lord, as I come to your word, just pray this silently now. God, speak to my heart. Open my eyes to to see you and your heart for people. And may it move me. Just pray that. Father, we love you, we thank you for your word, and we, we know that you say that your word is, is God-breathed, is, is profitable for doctrine, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. God, that you've sent it to accomplish your purpose, and it will not return void. So we come to your word, and we pray, God, that would it uh, accomplish its purpose, your purpose, God, in us. Would you change us, God, as we sang, Lord, from the inside out, God, you move and change our hearts to be conformed uh, to yours, Lord? We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, grab your Bible and turn to the Old Testament book of Jonah really quickly with me. Go to the Old Testament book of Jonah. It's on page 774 if you have my Bible right here. You probably don't. All right, so if you don't, just go to Matthew if you can't find it and then move towards the left, I don't know, about 20, 30 pages depending on how thick your pages are and you'll find Jonah. Uh, go to the book of Jonah. How many of you know the story of Jonah? Raise your hand. Right, most of you do. I didn't really grow up hearing this story when I was younger uh, as a Muslim, but let me just kind of give you the rundown, and we're going to really end at the end, end of the entire book because that's kind of the heart of where we're going tonight. So God comes to Jonah, as you know, and he tells Jonah to go preach a message to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Now look up here before we, before we start reading. Jonah, unless you're flipping, trying to find Jonah still, just listen well. All right, Jonah, God came to Jonah and told him to speak to Nineveh. Now, Jonah, a contemporary of Jonah's is the prophet Amos. Amos has already prophesied that Assyria would one day come and conquer Israel. So you got to understand that when God comes to Jonah and he says, go preach to these people, he's saying, go preach to these people that you already know will one day come and conquer your people. So this is, in Jonah's mind, that's the enemy, right? And not only that, we know from from things that have been uncovered that that the Ninevites, the Assyrians, were gruesome people. They would dismember their captives of war. They would skin them alive at times. I mean, really gruesome. I mean, this was, if you will, the Al-Qaeda of the day. So God is coming to Jonah and saying, go preach to Al-Qaeda, basically. And so Jonah hightails it the other way. You know the story. He runs from God, gets on a ship, sails for Tarshish. Ultimately, God appoints a storm. The sailors throw him sea. And as you know, in uh, end of chapter 1, God appoints a, a, the, the giant fish, the big fish. Which, by the way, anytime you mention Jonah, everyone thinks the great miracle of Jonah is the big fish. But stay with me. I think there's a bigger miracle So Jonah is swallowed up, and remember the fish is not God's judgment. The fish is God's mercy saving Jonah from the depths of that sea. And so in the depths of that sea, in the belly of that fish in chapter 2, he cries this prayer of praise and thanksgiving for God saving him. Now keep that in mind. Here's God saving him, though he didn't deserve it. He's running rebellious against God. And so then God brings him to dry land, and then Jonah comes to him a second time. The bio, excuse me, God comes to Jonah a second time. It says here in Jonah 3, look at this in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. What I love is that even the people that God uses to deliver the message of God are people who needed a second chance. Isn't that awesome? And remember, even we who are called to go, we needed something. And listen, I I, I did. I needed a second chance. Uh, many times in my life I've needed a second chance. But let me tell you, uh, one time in particular when I was at college, I was running from God's call in my life. My father had kind of come to grips with the fact that I was a Christian, but now God was calling me into ministry. So I ran from God's call. I wasn't going to go to my dad and say, Dad, now I'm going to go to the ministry on top of that. And by the way, that's what, ended, that's what uh, led him to t- totally uh, uh, disown me, really, was when I went into ministry. So basically, I ran from God for a year and a half. Well, I went to a Christian fraternity. I was involved in a Christian fraternity uh, in my college. And a guy who actually was, used to be on staff at this church years ago, named Larry, came to speak, all right? And he spoke at my youth group, I mean, at my, co- uh, uh, excuse me, my fraternity meeting, and afterwards, I went and talked to him, and he looked at me, and he said to me, you're going to be an evangelist one day. I said, how do you know? And he says, God told me to tell you. And I looked at him like he was crazy, and I walked away saying, okay, whatever, psycho. You know, I walked away, because I don't have people say, God told me to tell you this, all right? So I thought he was crazy. I ran guys from God's call for a year until, no joke, the same guy, Larry, came back to speak at my Christian fraternity one year later. And there I am in the audience, and I'm like, I walk in, and I see it's the same guy. I've been running from God for a year, just like Jonah was running from God. And I look up and see this guy, and I go, oh, no. And I go, I hope this guy doesn't remember me. And no joke, I, like, crouch down in my chair. I, like, put my Bible up here, like, saying, I hope this guy doesn't see me or remember me. And so so he gets up to speak, and he opens the Scripture, and he says, guys, turn to the book of Jonah. And I'm like... And so he starts telling this story about a guy who ran from God's call in his life. No joke the middle of the story, he goes, it's sort of like Afshin over there. And like the whole fraternity looks over and I'm like, okay, I got it, right? And he said one day he's going to stop running from God's call. And so that's when I went and told my dad I'm going to ministry. And so God used this book in my life to come to me a second time. And then I want you to see what he says to him. He says to go to Nineveh and preach. So, so Jonah goes and look what happens now. He preaches a message in chapter 4. Which says, yet forty days, I mean, excuse me, in verse four of chapter three, yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, guys, that is five words in the original Hebrew language. It's eight in our English Bible. Five words. And by the way, it says here that Jonah, I mean, excuse me, Nineveh was a, a giant city that would take three days to walk through, and Jonah only went one-third of the way. One day, preached five words, and look what happened. Look at verse uh, 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now look here at me real quickly. Let me tell you the great miracle of Jonah. It's not just the big fish. It's that God would take a rebellious man who was running from him, restore him, that he would go one third of the way through a giant city that were gruesome people that were enemies of, of the people of God, and he would preach five words and the entire city repents. That's the great miracle of Jonah and the power of God's word. Five words, guys. Don't tell me, man, God can't use me. Don't tell me, man, I don't know what I'm gonna say. Five words from a guy who was running from God. Look what God can do. And so Jonah's not gonna be happy. Jonah's not gonna be happy with what happened, so go with me to chapter 4. Let's read this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live." And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? So I want to talk to you about his unrepentant heart. Let me explain what I mean, that he's truly not repentant and broken over his own sin. Let me show you what repentance really ought to look like before we talk about Jonah's heart. Go really quickly back to Jonah 3. And look at verse 6. Look, what, look at the king of Nineveh when the word reached the king. Verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And then finally he issues a proclamation to call on God. So eyes on me. I'm going to play the part of the king of Nineveh. Here's what repentance looks like. The word reached the king. And by the way, repentance starts with the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the word of God comes to us and listen to what happens. The king rose from the throne and he took off his robe. True repentance, when we hear from God, it leads to a denial of yourself, a humbling of yourself, to get yourself off of the throne. And then he put on sackcloth. What's that all about? Well, what they would do when they would fast in the old days, they would wear sackcloth that the poor beggars would wear as if to say, God, I'm going to wear on the outside clothing that reflects my inner poverty and inner brokenness. So I'm not going to cover up my sin. I'm not going to make an excuse. I'm going to humble myself before you as I see that you're holy, just like Isaiah did. And he said, woe is me. He humbled himself. And then, he, I'm going to not cover up my sin, but I'm going I'm I'm to confess it to you. That's what that means. And then finally, he calls on God. And Romans ten thirteen says, All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And by the way, that is the gospel. So many people think that the Christian call is a call to do good things so that God would accept you. That's, that's the mindset I came from in Islam. Uh, my, my mindset, my mindset as, a, as a Muslim was this. That God's up there, and he's given us the Quran, and we got to do the five pillars of faith, which are in the Muslim uh, religion. i got to do those to the best of my ability, and then when I die and I meet my maker, everything good I do and everything bad I do will be weighed upon a scale. And whichever one outweighs the other will determine if I go to heaven or hell. That's called works. But sadly, so many people that sit in churches, they think the same thing. Jesus came and died on a cross... Okay, so now if I'm good, I'm going to go to heaven. That's not the call. In fact, Jesus said it this way in Luke 18. He says, two men went to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, which is the religious man, and the other, a tax collector. Now, don't miss this. The Pharisee prayed this way. Thank you, God, that I fast and I tithe and I pray. I do all these things. And he even says, thank you that I'm not like this man. Points out the tax collector. And then Jesus said that the tax collector would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his chest and said, be merciful to me, God, for I am a sinner. And the Bible says, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this man went home justified rather than the other. For everyone who wants to exalt himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The call of Jesus Christ on your life Is this, that you would see God in his holiness, okay? And the Bible says that every man has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us will ever be good enough for God. And so Jesus was sinless, came and lived a sinless life for us. The Bible says he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, to take our sin on his shoulder so that we might be the righteousness of God. That's called grace. And when you understand the gospel, it ought to draw you to humble yourself. Listen, the Bible says this in 1 Peter, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So hear me. God's not against the sinner. And I'm so glad because, listen, I'm, I'm really bad at sinning. Now, he hates sin, but he came to save sinners. He, let me tell you who he opposes. He opposes the proud, those who would stand in their own righteousness. But man, if you understand the gospel and the grace that you've been given, it ought to call you, it ought to cause you to humble yourself before God. And listen, it ought to cause you to look differently about others. Jonah's upset because they receive mercy. Romans, Romans and uh, Exodus 33 both say this God says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. Meaning this, guys, God chooses who gets grace, not, not me. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. The Bible says Jonah was exceedingly glad. The way the Hebrew reads is this it was evil to Jonah, a great evil. So hear me. The king of Nineveh, when he heard the word of God, he came off the throne and humbled himself. Let me tell you what Jonah does Jonah gets on the throne. That's why I say his heart is unrepentant. And he looks at God and says, God, what you did was evil. They shouldn't get mercy. And he attributes God with evil. So God's going to turn him to look at his own heart. He says in verse 4, look at this, of Jonah 4. The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Meaning this, guys. Are you doing well? Are you justified to be angry? It's just like when Jesus, hear me, when the men wanted to stone the woman caught in adultery. Remember that? What did Jesus do? He said, all right, let him who's without sin throw the first stone." Look at your own heart first before you throw a stone. You know what the Bible says? That starting from the oldest to the youngest, they all dropped their stones and left the scene. Because listen, the older I get, the more I know how much of a sinner I am and how much grace I need. And the Bible says so that only Jesus was left standing. He's the only one who is sinless. And what's Jesus' reaction? He says, woman, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? She says, no one. He says, neither do I go and sin no more. And so, do you do well to be angry? Look at your own heart. Then God's going to take him through a set of circumstances to show him that his heart is not really loyal to him. Look at this in verse 5. Jonah went out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and he asked that he might die and said it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. So eyes on me real quick. Here's what's happening. God appoints a plant to to give him shade, and Jonah's glad. God removes the plant, and then the sun's beating down on him, and Jonah's angry again. And so what, what are we seeing here? God is taking him through these circumstances to show him, listen, that your heart is not really loyal to me. That when things go the way you think they ought not to go, when someone gets mercy, when you get the plant removed, all of a sudden you're shaking your fist at me. And hear me, true Listen, following after Christ would say, I will follow you regardless of what comes. As we sang, my life is not mine, it's yours. You've bought it, it's yours, Jesus, regardless of what may come. When my father disowned me, I went upstairs to my room, fell on my face and said, God, how could you let this happen? Jesus, if you're real, how could you take my dad away from me? I shook my fist at God and God humbled me. He said, open the word of God, open my word. And I turned, guys, to Matthew 10. And listen to the words of Jesus I read right after my dad disowned me. He says this, listen. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven, but whoever disowns me, I will disown him. He says, do not suppose I came to bring peace to the earth. It's not always gonna be easy, but I've come to bring a sword. And he says, for I have come to turn a man against his father. Right after my dad disowned me, I'm reading this. And I'm like, wow. He says, man, I, if anyone loves his, his father or mother more than me, is not worthy of me. If anyone loves his son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. He goes on and says, if anyone wants to save his life, he will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will, ha- will find it. Whoever says, God, I lay my life down. I don't just believe the right things about you, but I'll lay my life down and follow you regardless of what comes. That's the call. And so Jonah, God shows him, your heart is not truly mine. And so I want to move to God's heart. This is where I want to really spend our time. I want to look at God's heart. Let's read the last two verses, and then we're going to talk about God's heart. Verse 10 and 11. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons Who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Okay? So look look here. Here's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about God's heart. God's saying, should I not pity them? Should I not have compassion on them? And I I want you to hear me say that God is compassionate for three types of people, I believe, based on this. You with me? Y'all watching them? They're going to give me something to drink because they are very compassionate for me. Thank you very much. All right, so you with me now? God's compassionate for three people. Man, you're the best. Thank you. All right. Hmm. All right. I was starting to shake my fist at them. Give me water. I'm just kidding. I didn't. Thank you so much. All right, look at this. Number one, if you got a pen, students, I want you to write this down. If you don't, I just want you to think on it, remember it, talk about it tonight in your groups. Number one, God is compassionate for the enemy. God is compassionate for the enemy. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to see. Jonah thinks, again, that the Assyrians are the enemies. Remember? That he'd already been, they'd already been prophesied that they would one day come and conquer his people. And I believe God is trying to show Jonah, and to a greater degree all of us today, that we were all enemies of God before Christ came into our life, before God showed us mercy. And so here's what I want you to hear. We don't have time to turn there, but just look here at me now. Listen real quick, real carefully. In 2 Kings 14, the Bible says, you don't have to turn there, but at a time of disobedience in Israel's life, That God gave them mercy and even allowed their borders to advance and to be restored, excuse me, even though they were being disobedient. And here's the key part. The the prophet who preached to them that you're going to get mercy was Jonah. So Jonah, when his own people received mercy, he was so willing and ready to preach God's mercy to his own people. But now when somebody else gets mercy, Jonah is ticked off at God. So I believe the great message of Jonah is this. Listen, guys, just as the plant came over Jonah and then God removed the plant, I believe God was saying, listen, Jonah, if it's not for me covering you, you're in the same boat as them. Romans chapter 5, let me just read it, I want you to hear Romans 5 verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Listen, I wasn't just an innocent bystander going, Oh, look what they're doing to this poor Jesus. No, the Bible says it was my sin that nailed him to the cross. I rebelled, I turned from God. I was an enemy of God and yet God was rich in mercy. So how dare I now? Look at someone and say, oh, they don't deserve mercy. They're an enemy. They're an enemy. I'll never forget after September the 11th, I received a letter from a a mentor of mine in the ministry that basically was, was, it was really rah, rah, America, let's go get these terrorists. Now hear me, I'm not for the terrorists, right? I want them to come to justice, and I'm definitely not against America. I'm very for America. But I responded to him this message, and I said this. This is a unique time to show Christ to Muslims because they expect us to hate them. And when we love them, when they think they're the enemy, this is the greatest time to display Christ to them because he loved us when we were the enemy. And here, let me tell you why I I so believe this. When I moved to this country from Iran. The Iran hostage crisis hit well before your time. A group of Americans were held hostage in Iran by a bunch of radical Muslims. It was called the Iran hostage crisis, okay? Being over here in America, it was not easy to be from Iran. We had rocks thrown through our window by people that knew my family was from Iran. My parents' cars' tires were slashed. Older high school kids threatened to beat us up. I'm not kidding you. We would be shot out with BB guns. We didn't even know what BBs were. Coming home from school by high school students. And I'm in the second grade. I come home with welts in my skin where the BBs were. And I share this not to throw a pity party, but just to say this. Hear me. I'm so thankful that one Christian American lady, a tutor, said, I'm going to love this Iranian kid. And she poured herself into me and taught me English and loved me when everybody else hated me and hear me if anybody else would have given me that Bible I would have thrown it in the trash can because I didn't trust anyone you want to win a Muslim for Christ you want to win a non-Christian for Christ I believe you got to earn the right to be heard and she did it by the way she loved me and she gave and since it came from her I said this must be important and I held on to the Bible and it was that Bible that I read that brought me to Christ so it was because one lady said, I'm going to love this guy, even though he is supposed to be the enemy. That's the call of the gospel. It's the call of the gospel. One of the heroes of my faith is a man in Iran who grew up a Muslim. And in, as a Muslim, he lived next to a Christian village. And the game that they used to play as Muslim teenagers is they would go out, true story, and when these Christian ladies in a small little Christian village way minority, right? These Christian ladies would walk out carrying clay pots filled with water. Their game was that they'd go get rocks and they'd hurl it at these ladies trying to bust these clay pots that they were carrying so the water would go everywhere. And so sure enough, one day he went out, this Muslim teenager grabbed it and he threw the rock and he just busted it. And he bullseye. And he was so stunned that he turned to run and as he was turning to run, he slipped and he fell and he scraped up his leg. And he tells his story that he literally started to brace himself as he heard the woman closing in. He was bracing himself for a whooping, right? But instead, this Christian lady knelt down and took out her rag and started taking care of his bloody leg. And he's looking, he's just blown away. I'm throwing rocks at you, and you're taking care of me? He was just stunned. Years later, that guy would be in the Iran-Iraq war. Iran and Iraq were in an eight-year bloody war in the 80s. And this guy would get injured in that war and be put in a hospital. And a Christian nurse took care of him, shared the gospel with him. And he remembered the lady years prior who loved him when he was throwing rocks. He gave his life to Christ, became one of the leaders of the underground church in Mashhad, which is one of the most religious towns in Iran. And they found out about him, the authorities did, and they said, We're going to kill you if you don't leave. And he said, I can't leave my sheep alone. Fifteen people in this underground church. I can't leave them. So they took him out to the square in Mashhad and they hung him for his faith. Hear me, he became a martyr for the Christian faith in Iran. And from his little tiny band of believers, his church, have spawned several other underground churches. And I, with my own eyes, have met some of these folks that have come out of these churches. And it all goes back to one lady who said, I'm going to love even though you're throwing rocks at me. I just wonder what would it do to Christians in America if Osama bin Laden came to Christ? Now hear me, I want him to be found. And I surely want him to come to justice. I'm talking about eternity. Maybe that's too drastic for you. But where would you draw the line? God's heart is I'm compassionate for the enemy. And listen, I'm thankful because I was an enemy of God before Christ. And that ought to move me. That person who's wronged you, you don't condone what they've done, but you pray and say, God, give me a heart of compassion. Give me a heart that would forgive as you forgave me. We sing about Jesus' love all the time. Hear me. When you go love somebody that doesn't deserve your love, you sing 5,000 times louder with that action. God, thank you for your love for me. So God's compassionate for the enemy. Number two, you still with me, yeah? Say yes, yeah? Number two, God's compassionate for the spiritually blind. And I want you to look at this in verse 10 one more time. I'm sorry, verse 11. Look at this. Should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. Now let me explain that. Some people think that means they're children. But I think what it means, just like Deuteronomy 5 and Proverbs 4 say, that man, follow the law, God's word says, and don't turn to the right or the left. Here's what I believe it means. You have the law, Jonah. You know you're right from the left. Should I not pity these people who don't know they're right from their left? You with me? You've been given, Christian, the scriptures. Shouldn't your heart move with compassion for those who don't have the revelation yet? Shouldn't you? And and listen, as a church, when we see people who don't know Christ out in the world acting like they don't know Christ, it ought to not appall us so much that we don't move with compassion. We see people, go, oh, look at that. Look at the world. Can't believe that. And we get disgusted. No, we ought to say, man, if I didn't know Christ, I'd be right there with them doing the same thing. In order to move me to compassion for them. And then finally, God's heart beats for all the world, I believe. And look at this in verse uh, uh, 10 again. It says, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. You're pitying the plant. You had nothing to do with the plant. Look what he says in verse 11. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons? Here's what I believe he's saying. I made these people, Jonah. Should I not pity them? And here's how I want to close, and i got a story before we end. God's heart beats for not, hear me, just your little band of believers, Jonah. God's heart doesn't just beat for Israel, Jonah. It beats for all the world for us today. God's heart doesn't just beat for the little Bible Belt group that we are here in the South in America. God's heart beats for all the world. And that's what this great story is all about. Jonah is, is, is a missionary to a Gentile nation. Guys, this is mind-boggling, but it's always been the heart of God to go out to all the world. When God called Abraham's students He said, go, and I'm going to make you a great nation. And as many as the stars are, so will your descendants be. But listen, it's not just about Israel, because he goes on and says, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So you're going to have many descendants, but then you're going to have the descendant, Jesus. And through you, my message of hope and salvation will go to all peoples, not just you. And so Peter, guys, did you know Peter was called by God to go to a Gentile man's home? Cornelius. And he walks in, guys, preaches the gospel, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell upon these Gentiles. And listen, Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter, did I say Paul? Peter and his, his friends are just stunned. And so they baptize these folks. And they get back to Jerusalem. And the good Christians who were there in Jerusalem, when they found out that Peter preached the gospel to the Gentiles, you know what they did? They rebuked him for doing it. You shouldn't have preached to the Gentiles. And Peter says, if they receive the same Holy Spirit that we received, who am I to stand in God's way? And you know what the Bible says? This is really cool in Acts. The whole church fell silent and they glorified God because they understood that the message of the gospel was not just for them, but for even the Gentiles. They, their eyes were open. Hey, It's for everyone. And here's how I want to close our time. Listen to me, we're talking about being intentional. If you understand the grace of God, it ought to move you to be intentional with your life, meaning this, that you would leave your comfort zone. And hear me, it may cost you to do that, to leave your comfort zone and go to a people that may not look like you at your high school, may not be your little clique, guys. May not be of the same race, okay? May not look like you, may not know the scriptures. You might even think that they're the enemy. And God is saying, would you get uncomfortable? Would you leave your comfort zone and go share? Jonah had to get uncomfortable, didn't he? He had to go and preach in the heart of a Nineveh, a capital of 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 a nation that he knew would conquer his one day. Jesus had to get uncomfortable for all of us he left glory the bible says in philippians 2 he emptied himself and came in the form of a bond servant and he became obedient to god all the way to the point of death hear me we always talk about the sacrifice of the cross what about the sacrifice of the incarnation that jesus would leave his place of glory and humble himself and come in the form of a man for us how dare we stay in our little cliques God's grace ought to move us to go out in your school, in your neighborhood, on your athletic team, wherever, or some of you maybe even in your family. And I want to close our time with a story of a young man that has just really radically inspired my wife and I. And this young man really understood that the grace of God came into his life to compel him to go. And I want you to hear the story of a young man named B.J. Higgins. Everyone look up here at this book. It's called I Would Die For You. How many of you have read this book or heard of this book? Anybody? Two or three of you. Look here, guys. You all got to go get this book. Go to Amazon.com. Go to a Christian bookstore, wherever. I don't know. I think it's in a Christian bookstore. Buy this book, I Would Die For You. It's by his parents, Brent and Deanna Higgins. And let me tell you his story. B.J. Higgins accepted Christ at the age of eight. Okay, he wasn't in the youth group at the time, obviously. His dad was on staff and dragged him to this youth meeting, and he heard the gospel be, be preached at the age of eight. Are y'all in the, are y'all in the uh, um, worship band? Y'all got to hear the story, though. I promise I'm going to call y'all. Y'all just stand right there. Okay, good. All right. People are getting up. It's like the best story. Okay, y'all just stay right there. I promise you'll have time. You'll, I'm going to pray. You'll have time. Okay, you got to hear this story. This is just for, this is for you, too, all right? So, hear me. At the age of eight, he accepts Christ. You with me now? He gets so passionate about sharing his faith that at the age of nine and 10, 11, he's sharing his faith. Left and right. Even on his school bus, his parents told us that kids on a school bus would run to their teacher crying saying, BJ said we're going to hell if we don't know Jesus, you know. That BJ's teachers would have to pull BJ aside and say, um, let's tone down the harshness of your message. I mean, he was raw. He was just preaching. And listen, no joke. Sharing his faith online. His parents told Meredith and I at the age of 14, 15, he's sharing his faith online. His parents would come and say, BJ, get to bed. And he'd say, Mom, Dad, I'm sharing my faith. And they're like... What do we do with that, you know? I mean, and guys, I'm not trying to put this guy on a pedestal. I'm just trying to show you one kid who got it. And so B.J. felt called to go on the mission field. And he told his older sister, we're going to go to Morocco one day together. We're going to go to Africa, to Morocco, and serve in the mission, in the mission field together. Well, before B.J. made it to Africa, B.J. went to Peru on a mission trip. And in Peru, he contracted a rare disease And at the age of 15, B.J. Higgins passed away and went to be with the Lord. And this book is written by his parents, guys, taking the journal writings of a 14, 15-year-old. And you'd be shocked what a young man is writing in his journal. I just want to read just a small portion of it for you. B.J. writes at the age of 14, It's time that we as professed Christians of America wake up from our sleep of lethargy and hypocrisy and stop only living for Christ on Sundays and Wednesdays and start acting as Christ says all of us disciples must act. Whoever does not bear his own cross cannot come after me and be my disciple. We must die to ourselves daily. We must forget our comfort zones and our cliques of friends and go out and share the love and rescuing truth of Jesus Christ with the lost, empty, suffering, and dying people of the world all around us as Christ has commanded. Fourteen years old. And so Meredith bought this book when I was in the Middle East doing training. When I came back, she handed me the book, said turn to page 32. And on page 32 it says... When B.J. was in elementary school, he had just heard Afshin Ziafat speak, and he accepted Christ. Now, guys, I travel and preach all over and leave, and I never see the result. This is one time that God let Meredith and I see the result, and we just got on our face and just started bawling, crying, thanking the Lord. Now, listen, B.J.'s parents found Meredith and I online, and they email me. They go, you led our son to Christ? I'm like, I know. I got the book, you know? And so they say, we live in Oklahoma. Can we take you out? Uh, to dinner one day. And I go, well, I'm going to be in Tulsa and we'd love to go out and and meet with you. Now listen, by the way, before you think I'm boasting, and you can never boast about this because salvation belongs to God. But before you think I'm boasting, guess what? I did some research. This was my first outside speaking engagement when I lived at the Yo House. My first outside speaking engagement ever. And I went and preached. Now hear me, listen, listen. So you know my message was horrible. It was probably like... Uh, Jesus loves you, amen, you know what I mean? But hey, listen, five Hebrew words Jonah preached. Look what God can do. And so we went to dinner, and you might say, why would God take a 15-year-old who's passionately sharing his faith? Why would God let that happen? So we go to dinner, and BJ's parents start telling us the rest of the story. After his funeral, they took his ashes And they went to Morocco with the older sister. And they went up on a hill overlooking the Muslim village, a Muslim village. And they spread out BJ's ashes on this hill overlooking this Muslim village. Now, don't forget, it was a former Muslim who preached when he came to Christ. And they pray for this Muslim village, come home, don't think much more about it. Later, they found out that the Muslim guide who took them to the top of that village, top of that hill, excuse me, overlooking that village, was so moved by BJ's story that he gave his life to Christ. And now, ready for this, they found out same guy is now the pastor of the underground church in that Muslim village. So BJ's life even through his death is impacting Morocco today. Now, BJ's dad goes to Kenya after that, sitting on a school bus or a, just a bus. And a Sudanese young man comes and sits down next to him. He starts sharing his faith with this young man. And this young man from Sudan's like, oh, I know Jesus. I just don't have a Bible. And BJ's dad goes, no. Because the only Bible he had with him was a Bible that had all of BJ's writings in it. And he preaches from this Bible. And he said, God, I'm not letting go of this Bible. And he wrestled with God for 10 minutes. And God said, give him the Bible. And so he hands this Bible to this young man. And he says, This is going to be your Bible. He goes, I just got to pray for you. And as he's praying for this young man, God says to Brent Higgins, Brent, you're praying for the next evangelist in East Africa. So he finishes praying and he says, young man, you're going to be an evangelist one day. I heard that once. (laughs) You're going to be an evangelist one day. And he goes, I'm just curious. How old are you? 15 years old. And he's got B.J.'s Bible, preaching the gospel. So hear me you might have to get uncomfortable to be intentional. But is your life, listen to me, if you were to die tomorrow and your book was written, would it impact anybody for Christ? 15 years old, what could God do through you? And so it may cost you. Jesus said it this way, last verse and then we're going to pray. In John 12, unless a grain of wheat, hear me, falls into the ground and dies it remains alone but if it dies it bears much fruit unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground now hear me some of you are going to say yes Jesus I love you I know you I'll sing about you I'll come to church and pray and I know I'm going to be in heaven but man you still are kind of holding on to your life holding on to your little group or your little clique of friends you don't want to get uncomfortable but hear me you can do that Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, and then your life will be just about you. But if you die, if you say, God, I lay my life down, I'll follow you, I'll get uncomfortable for you, I'll go wherever you call me, if it dies, it will bear much fruit. My prayer is that some of you today would say, God, I lay my life down. I humble myself because I don't deserve your grace. And God, I call on you, save me. Maybe some of you today, you've never trusted in Christ. Him alone for your salvation. You're still saying, oh, I'm good enough. I've been to church all my life. You're still talking about what you do. Humble yourself before a holy God. If you receive the grace of God, you need to say, God, I lose my life. I let go. Use my life. I don't care how old I am, 15, 16. Use my life. I'll go for you. I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes, and I want to pray over you now. Bow your head and close your eyes. So if that's you tonight, and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him. You've been here this whole weekend, and you've heard messages, you've heard songs being sung, but if you're honest, there's never been a time When you guys, when you in your heart, trusted in Christ. And you're here and you're saying, I need you, Jesus. I'm ready to surrender my life to you once and for all. Keep your eye closed. I just want you to focus on the Lord. If you're here and you're saying, I need you, just call on him. Again, you don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops first. You don't have to fix yourself up. Just get off the throne. Humble yourself. Confess to him. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess him as your Lord. Jesus, I give my life to you. Save me, Lord. Jesus, I want to follow you with my life. You're here. You're a Christian, maybe, and, you, and you, you, today, you know Jesus. I mean, but you're saying, man, I, I, I got, I gotta lay my life. I gotta take my hands off. I gotta be intentional. I gotta go. Maybe somebody who's wronged you. I gotta forgive. Maybe somebody who doesn't know who's just right down the locker from you, right in your class. Maybe it doesn't look like you, maybe not in your group. God, I'll go. I'll move for you. Use me, Jesus. Here am I, Lord, send me, God. Father, we love you, we praise you. And God, we just pray. just pray that you would take this time now and be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.